Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Well, hello, and thank you for checking out the podcast. Coming up, Fiona Odlum. It's Friday Fun Day with Fiona. Richard Sturtz will join us. Rockin' Richard's record and CD show and sale is coming up on Sunday. It's World Arthritis Day. Donna Mills, regional manager of the Arthritis Society on the podcast and also Dr. Cyrus Dirksen. Please rate the podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast. And now, the podcast. It's a drink local wine day today, and I was asking if there are any local wines, any wines from uh, here in Winnipeg and Manitoba. Let's go to the phone quickly here before we get Fiona Odlum on 204-780-6868. Hi, CJOB. Yeah, I'm just calling to say, yes, there is wine that is being sold from Manitoba, oh. made in Manitoba. It's from a company from around Saint-Pierre, Pierre Joly. I do believe. All right. But you can find it at the liquor mart. I'm going to check into it, maybe get them on the air and talk about it. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Appreciate that. Fiona Odlum, did you know that, that there is uh, wine being made right here in the province of Manitoba? Well, I thought Baby Duck was made in, like, <laughs> Manitoba, wasn't it? Well, I don't know, but I know <laughs> it, 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 is, uh, it is definitely consumed here. I don't know if it's uh, made here. I, I don't think it's made here. I've told you the college uh, wine story. Was. I told you the college wine story, right? No. Okay. <clears throat> We've got a bit of a delay here, so just we'll just try to finish our sentences, and, and then we won't have any issues here. But So here's uh, here's what happened. Uh, I got an $800 student loan when I was heading off to cottage, uh, college, and I was going to be living at home. So the money wasn't horribly necessary, and I took my $800, and me and my three buddies were going to school, and I went to the liquor store, and I said, uh, what can we get for $800? And I said, oh, we need no. to get pretty big bang for our buck here. You know, we're not too fussy. And they said, oh, well, we've got a whole bunch of this discontinued wine over here. Uh, we can let you have all this for $800 and we bought it. And that's what we drank our entire first year of college. (laughs) And you know what it was? It was baby bear wine. They came out with baby bear wine (laughs) and it didn't sell well, but we bought what was left. So there you go. Oh my gosh. In 2018, baby bear means something totally different. (laughs) I hadn't thought about that. Yes, you're right. Um, so it's uh, Drink Local Wine Day. It is also, let me get this right because you've got a story for us. It is World Egg Day. What is this egg story you wanted to tell me? <laughs> okay, so recently uh, I was on a flight and I was sitting by this older lady and, the, you know, she you could tell she was like really nervous, super nervous about flying. Hmm. And uh, so she was sitting there, she was all huddled up and she wasn't moving. And then it was like an evening flight. And um, so then, you know, they, they dim, the, dim the cabin lights and everything. And she's just still there all like as tight as a knot. Right. And she's like, her husband is across the aisle and he's like, I'm so hungry. And she's like, okay, let's bust out the snacks. <laughs> She literally was able to get through security 12 hard-boiled eggs. 
12, a well, full dozen of hard-boiled eggs. Is that something that you wouldn't <laughs> normally be able to take through security? I've, I've never tried to take a hard-boiled egg through, through, through security, but why, why would that be of concern? I don't know. To me, I'm just like, I don't know. Listen, I'm kind of like old school. I'm like, oh, I could put that in a sock and like whip that around and really hit someone hard in the head with a dozen hard-boiled eggs. Yeah. So then she was too scared to turn the light on above her. So she sat there and she picked and peeled. And it was like those eggs that were like they weren't fresh anymore. So like the peel wasn't coming off. Yeah. And I sat there for three hours watching her peel these eggs. I was losing my mind That's and the crazy. smell how oh no oh, how does this, why does this crazy nutty stuff always happen to you you have more crazy stories than anybody i know it's it's nuts <laughs> i'm a magnet i, I think i'm you are. literally a magnet every day i'm like just be normal fiona just like yeah, walk around be right. normal and then madness at the ensues <laughs> yeah i don't Gosh. think you could ever be normal. Anyway, you yeah. could never be normal hey uh you also <laughs> wanted to say that you believe brown eggs are superior to white eggs yeah really yeah i, I absolutely i absolutely believe a they taste better i feel the yolk is darker and more delicious yeah. and like i have had non-stop arguments like um, and also, too, I just think they're more beautiful. Like, I mm. love a speckled brown egg. But, um, like, what kind of eggs do you get? Do you get, like, the regular basics or do you go omega-3? No, we don't. We just go normal. We don't eat a whole lot of eggs. Jackie and eggs don't get along, so we don't eat a whole lot of eggs. But um, I, I would agree that the yolks in the brown eggs are darker. I don't know though, as though that's a, a good thing or not for me, to be honest with you. What is the – and I'm – listen, I grew up on a farm till I was, you know, five or six, and then we moved into a small town. But what is the difference between a brown egg and a white egg? Is there any difference or is it just the way it comes out? I actually contacted uh, the chicken producers of Manitoba about this and they said there's zero difference. Really? And I like, even though they were telling me the science, I'm like, I don't believe you. Mm. <laughs> I don't believe them at all. But um, I'm actually going to Toronto next weekend yeah. and I always like to like, challenge Derek's palate. And so the last time I was there, we had quail eggs. Oh, I've had those. And those have you ever had a... Yeah. Mm. Right? Yeah. Okay. I am a child, and so I like to hold them, and <laughs> then I walk around the house, and I say, Derek, I look like Andre the Giant. <laughs> and... Because <laughs> they're so small, right? Yes, right. Uh, yeah. But Next weekend, mm. I'm going to an ostrich farm, and I'm getting an ostrich egg to eat. Oh, cool. I can't wait. Those are huge. Yeah, this thing's going to be massive. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and how will yeah. you eat that? What's will the weirdest you just, thing uh, you've eaten? Will you just crack it open and fry it up sunny side up, or what, what will you do with it? I think I'm going to. I think I want to do it just like sunny side up and then yeah. like like toast an entire loaf of rye bread to dip in the yolk. <laughs> well, yes, you would have to. Yeah, you would absolutely have to. There's actually yeah. a story I'm going to talk about later. There's a, a food museum. I don't know if you saw that story or not. Uh, let me find it here. Disgusting Food Museum. It aims to gross out and educate. And it talks about, you know, some of the gross food out there. One of the ones that comes up a lot on this show, because my dad used to love it, is uh, head cheese. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> Ugh. 
Eh? Gross. Yeah. 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 My my mom, she used to make these things. I can't say the word anymore. It's not politically correct anymore. Okay. But it's these kind of like meatballs in Wales that are just made of like entrails and like on the top, oh. it's made to look look like a, a hot crust bun. Like you know how like a hot crust bun has the X on it. Yeah. But it's usually made with sweet dough. But this is actually like um, intestine that makes oh, it. Gross. Yeah, I was not popular in grade school. No Go kidding. figure at lunchtime. Open up your lunchbox <laughs> and you pull that out, right? The, yeah. I mean, probably the weirdest thing I've eaten isn't isn't all that weird, but probably frog's legs, which mm-hmm. of course tasted like chicken, right? I mean, that's just the way it works, <laughs> right? What about you? Weirdest yeah. thing you've ever eaten? Oof. Okay, the weirdest. Uh, okay, well, I did eat like fresh killed pigeon once really like yeah like they killed it in front of us and we ate it um so that was a bit off-putting but i did it wow but i'll i'll never ever ever eat bunny rabbit because i had so many bunnies growing up i just can't do it Mm, yeah nothing like bunny stew nothing like bunny stew Especially on Easter. That's when. (laughs) And especially from your mistress, right? (laughs) Anyhow, this uh, food museum, disgusting food museum, it's in Sweden. Here's some of the stuff that they're apparently, and it's not open yet. It opens at the end of the month. They're going to have fermented shark meat, uh, bird's nest soup, ant larvae, roasted guinea pig, and maggot cheese. Okay, what? I don't know. Just I'm just reading from the story. I just happened. It's funny we're talking about food, and this is a disgusting food museum that aims to gross out and educate. It opens in Sweden at the end of the month. Hey, baby, welcome on in here to the Wolfman Jack Show for a Tuesday night. He rocks in the treetop all day long. Ah, yes. Rockin' Richard's record and CD show and sale is happening on Sunday, 10 to 4, Sunday at the Victoria Inn. And Rockin' Richard himself joins us now. Richard starts on the phone. Hi, Richard. Hi there. Well, uh, here it is again, this time of the year. How many records will you have uh, and CDs this year? Any idea? Do you count them going into this or not? Uh, no, we, uh, that would be, uh, pretty tough to do, but, yeah. uh, we're guesstimating there probably be over a hundred. We have 90, uh, t- vendors uh, or 90 tables, I should say in the, uh, convent at the, uh, in the centennial rooms at the Victoria hotel. And we have over, over, I would say a hundred thousand records wow. and, and CDs as well. Yes. Isn't that something? How did this start mm-hmm. for you? How many years have you been doing this and how did it all start? Okay. Uh, we basically st- we started in 2000, okay, and we've been doing it for 18 years. Uh, when I say we, I'm talking about my partner Alex Reed and myself. Right. And um, there has been a uh, just a little quick history for you there. There has been a music show of uh, the same kind that we do. It's been going on for a number of years prior to that at uh, various locations, okay. And as it's turned out. Uh, we uh, inherited the show from a fellow named Mark Corner, who now is, uh, he uh, was transferred to Calgary back in the day, and, and uh, he puts on his own show in uh, Calgary, 
And uh, he's actually, uh, since we've been doing the show, he's a regular vendor at our show back in Winnipeg. Oh, very so, cool. Uh, yeah, so we've been doing it for 18 years. Wow. You've been around for a long time. I like to get you on uh, before the uh, show. I left it a bit late this year, so I apologize. But we just want to let people know that, uh, and a lot of the people know that are that are regulars at your uh, show and sale. But again, Sunday, 10 to 4 at the Victoria Inn. And uh, talk maybe about the resurgence of vinyl, because uh, that has really taken this event of yours to a different level, hasn't it? Absolutely. There's no, there's no question about that, uh, about the, uh, the resurgence, as you mentioned. And uh, partly we, we've noticed that in the types of crowds that usually attend our show. Uh, for example, previously it was primarily, uh, and, and I'm going back 10 years approximately, it was the university crowd that was uh, represented the bulk uh, of the people that attended our show. But now we're getting people of all ages, and actually the uh, we're getting uh, students of high school age who are uh, all of a sudden discovering a new form of entertainment, and that is vinyl. Well, and a lot of the artists that were on vinyl before are now becoming very popular with young people. Like, I can't believe how many people that, you know, I've, I've run into that say, oh, you know, love Led Zeppelin, and I'm like, really? You know, you're not old enough, but... A whole new generation is finding these artists, and as you mentioned, they're finding out about vinyl. Yeah, you're exactly right. Well, one another indication is uh, we're finding even um, some of these stores in town are dabbling into uh, vinyl. I'll give you, I'll cite you an example. Uh, uh, London Drugs, who uh, I always anticipated being uh, just a drugstore kind of thing, uh, they're, uh, they've dabbled into what they call a 180-gram vinyl, uh, which is... Uh, 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 vinyl that uh, reissues all of the uh, the classic rock classics that you described. Isn't that interesting? Yes, hey, um, yes, yes. And they're they're not only they're not only dabbling in vinyl, but they've expanded their horizons. And now they're even uh, in the last few years they've uh, uh, arisen from just a uh, carrying. Uh, bins of records to now they have their own music room complete with uh receivers and stereos and speakers and the like huh i gotta ask and you at our show they're going to be bringing in apparently a uh, this year they're going to be uh bringing a high-end uh, record cleaner with uh, uh supplies and so on so wow. to me if they're investing that kind of money in mm. in uh records and vinyl that, you know, it must be working for them. Hey, I mentioned uh, at the end of Jeff Greer's show that I was having you on today, and uh, okay. we, came, we came up with a question. How do, you know, Jeff was saying he's got a bunch of vinyl. I was just out. My mom sold her house back in Alberta, yeah. and I brought back a bunch of vinyl I had. How do we know what's worth something? Like, some of it's worth nothing, and it's just, you know, something you would want personally, but then there are some records that are worth a lot of money. How do we know? Well, there's a couple ways you can uh, research them. Okay, one being uh, if you check them out on eBay, uh, not just, uh, I'm uh, divulging a few secrets here, but that's okay. Uh, If you're uh, checking out a particular album on eBay, if you looked, uh, not just uh, somebody's uh, listing of the album, but if you check the completed items, what, uh, and that indicates what it actually sold for. 
So it gives you a rough idea of that particular album, how it lists a number of, al- uh, uh, a number of records uh, of that particular record, that, uh, the prices that it sold for. Uh, a second uh, way of doing it, there is actually a, a price guide, which has been around for a number of years, called the gold mine. Mm. And that could be, that could be uh, uh, purchased at uh, any one of the record uh, stores in town, or you could send uh, away for it or whatever. Uh, well, at a bookstore like McNally Robinson or places like that would carry it. Right. And, and, and that list, uh, that's a price guide of all records. And uh, however... The prices, one of the other things you have to be concerned about, the prices in there are records that are in, they the start at very good to near, to very to near min condition. Right. So if a record is only in fair, good condition, it, uh, you know, it would be worth a lot less. So you have yeah. to take that into account. Let me ask you a, a question about Winnipeg bands and Winnipeg artists. Are there any yeah. uh, records, any vinyl featuring Winnipeg bands that would be worth a lot of money that somebody might have in the basement or, you know, in that spare room or up in the attic? Definitely. Uh, at our show, we have a number of uh, uh, collectors that specialize in, in Winnipeg music. And, and actually, in our show, we're, uh, we're pleased to have... Uh, some uh, uh, vendors that are that are former band members, former Winnipeg band members that participate in our show. Hmm. But there's a number of them have collections. Winnipeg, uh, we have some, uh, uh, as I say, a few vendors that uh, have Winnipeg collections that uh, you know that kind of <laughs> take up part of their basement. Yeah. But um, uh, yes, there are. I'll, I'll cite you an example. Yeah, please. The, uh, Guess who the the guess who one of the records that's highly regarded uh, it's it was the third album produced by the guess who called it's time now the the reason the first two ra- two records have have moderate value but that seems to command the most most value and that uh, is worth in the vicinity of a hundred dollars approximately dependent on condition wow and I gotta ask you this guess, and I'm sorry to no it's okay <laughs> and my, Okay, I'm, yeah, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Uh, I, uh, my guess is uh, the reason being it didn't sell a lot back in the day, and it was a time when the guests who made a switch uh, from their former lead singer Chad Allen to uh, to Bergen Cummings, right? Yeah, and, and represented a more, how shall I say, garage rock heavier sound, you yeah, know? Yeah. So that was that's I think part of the reason for the appeal of that particular record. Sure. But, and- yeah, but there's other definitely other other local records that are for and uh, uh, other records that have uh, a lot of interest. Is actually the uh, uh, there was a local group called the prior to the guess uh, who are serious. Pardon me, and I shouldn't say prior to around the time of the guess who are the Devrons, of which Britton Cummings was the former lead singer. So any of the they never uh, they never produced an album, but. Uh, their 45s are quite valuable, the original mm. 45s. Hey, one, one more question, Richard, uh, before I, uh, I let you go. In going through the vinyl at my mom's house here a few months yes. ago, several months ago, I came across a bunch of my old KTEL records. Any of those KTEL records that were done right here in Winnipeg, any of those worth any money? Uh, I'm sorry to say, Al, I know they're... <laughs> 
They're kind of at the bottom end of the scale yeah. uh, for collectors. Yeah, there, there's not. I love them. I, I, they may be at the bottom end of the scale for collectors, but I love them because I it, <laughs> okay. it was those Ktel. Well, I know for a you know a collector like you, maybe not, but it was cool because yeah. you got a bunch of great songs on one record. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, you got a lot of bang for your buck yeah. with the Ktels. There's no question about that. Yeah, but absolutely. But there are some types. Types of records like that. I'll give you an example, not locally, but uh, uh, what we call a compilation albums, which have 22 explosive hits, etc. Yeah. But there's there's one that was pulled in, put out in the states. You know, American uh, uh, one American bandstand mm. uh, put out something like that, and it came with a actually came with a bu- a booklet and so on, which included uh, wh- you know, when you first purchased it. And uh, a book that included uh, many of the artists that performed on American Bandstand. Mm. So that's a type of record like that that uh, has value. And also, prior to KTEL, a lot of the early uh, the early uh, compilations there, uh, the R Rhythm and Blues and things like that, do have some value, yes. Yeah. Richard, have a great day on Sunday, and thanks a lot for doing this. I appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me, Hal. I, I appreciate that as well, and, and I hope we see you there. Okay. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Donna Wills joins us now on the phone, Regional Manager, Arthritis Society. Donna, thank you for doing this. I appreciate it. Oh, it is my pleasure, Hal. We were in the newsroom this morning talking about, uh, you know, what we were going to have on the various shows today, and I noticed that it was World Arthritis Day, and then we started chatting, and, you know, everybody in the room, I don't know, we had eight or ten people around the meeting today, everybody either has arthritis, knows some mom or dad, have it, or a brother or a sister, and all ages, and I just thought I'd start by mentioning that because arthritis is... Interesting in that sense. It affects so many people. It most certainly does. And from infants, uh, you know, right through to people in their hundreds, uh, it, it does not discriminate against age. Yeah. Um, there's no cure, um, but I guess treatments are getting better, are they, for arthritis? Treatments are getting better all the time. Uh, we are one of the preeminent uh, finances, uh, financers of uh, arthritis research, and there's new breakthroughs happening all the time. Uh, it, it's not, it doesn't look today like, you know, it did in your grandmother's day. Uh, those arthritic hands that, uh, you know, have difficulty doing things can now be prevented with medications if it's caught early. So that's, you know, that's a huge change that, uh, I, I, you know, such a game, uh, a game changer for people with arthritis is, is so that type of medication and new ones. And new treatments are being uh, discovered on well, a regular basis. Yeah, and you know, as we were talking today, the weather has been so cold and cloudy, and uh, you know, just really damp. And uh, a few people that have arthritis, we were saying, yeah, this weather really does affect the joints that have arthritis. Are you finding that from people that you talk to with arthritis? It's very common for uh, with season changes for there to be a flare. Excuse me. Um, it could be going from cold to hot or hot to cold. Uh, everybody's different in how their body reacts, but seasonal changes, temperature changes uh, certainly can make a difference with somebody uh, that is living with arthritis. I'm glad you're coming on today to to talk with me because you've got some events coming up and, and this is great timing. We'll get the word out. So go ahead. Tell us what you've got uh, uh, coming up with Arthritis Society. 
sure. We have a symposium that we are very excited about. It is on November the 3rd. And that is a Saturday, so hopefully everybody, you know, will be available to attend. It is about chronic pain management. Uh, what's the best part about all of this is we are holding it in Edmonton, Saskatoon, and Winnipeg, all at the same time, uh, connected together by webcast. Uh, people can register to be in person in one of those locations, or they can register to be online to attend in the webcast, which, of course, means they could be anywhere in the world. We will have renowned uh, speakers, uh, Dr. Hani Al-Gabalawi, who is a preeminent arthritis researcher and rheumatologist here with the University of Manitoba, will be speaking in Winnipeg. Uh, we have a physiotherapist, uh, Trevor Donald, who's going to be speaking in Saskatoon about how to manage pain by keeping active. And then we actually have an anesthesiologist speaking in Edmonton, Dr. Sana Aram Ahmed, um, who's really going to be talking about interventional chronic pain management, as well as uh, cannabinoid medicine, um, which is that question that's on everybody's mind these days. And people can sign up and find out more info at the website? Yes, arthritis, uh, arthritis.ca uh, backslash Prairie Symposium, and that will take you right into the event. Uh, everybody is welcome, but you do need to register. If you are coming in person, uh, we will have lunch for everyone, so you want to be sure to have enough supplies. Uh, if you are wanting to join us online, you will need to register in order to get the link to be able to join us online. All participants will get a link to the recordings afterwards. All right, and again, that's coming up on November 3rd. And anything else here before I let you go, Donna? I uh, just wanted to let you know that this weekend, we're just getting prepared to head out the door shortly for a family camp. As you mentioned earlier, arthritis also strikes children. So this weekend, we are bringing together some families that have children with arthritis so that they can connect and um, be together, learn best practices from each other. And it's a great chance for the kids to see that they're not alone. There are others that live with the same challenges they do, that they do. And parents to have a chance to connect and, and talk with others that are going through the same thing. So we're, we're pretty pleased to be offering that this, this very specialized camp this weekend. And that's what we're, we're busy working towards. We are looking to having a summer camp uh, for kids next summer. So if anybody does have a child with arthritis between the age of 7 and 17, be sure to check in with us and we can tell you more about that. Right now, Dr. Cyrus Dirksen is here. Hey, Doc, how are you? Very good. It's good to be here, as always. Excellent, yes. Uh, you just walked in. It's looking nice outside. Is yeah. it, uh, compared to what we've been having, it's... Well, it's nice and, I mean, it's a little crisp, but it's still nice. Mm-hmm. It's, it's doable. Hey, I'm curious, when the weather, uh, when we go through stretches like that, where the weather's not as good as it should be for the time of year, mm-hmm. do you see more people calling you up and saying, <laughs> hey, Doc, I need to come in for a tune-up? I see more people when the weather turns a little bit colder. Yes, mm. I do, especially in the fall. Um, you know, we've gotten to the point where, you know, like we've got clients all year for sure. But um, yeah, the, the wait list gets a little bit longer around yeah. this time of year. That's for sure. I believe that. I, yeah. I can imagine that's the case. Let's start with net worth versus self-worth. And uh, the headline is net worth versus self-worth. Do we all need inequality therapy? <laughs> I like that. Um, eh? I like that too. Uh, net worth and self worth, right? I mean, where is where is the real value here? Where does the value lie? It's interesting. I, in my clinic, I see people coming in, and um, you know, people have different values. It's very clear. Mm. And sometimes people come in, and they have uh, very they're very materialistic. 
And almost to a fault, or almost uh, almost completely, I think everybody I've ever seen, they're very unaware of it. Uh, they're very unaware of the fact that they have very high values on image or their finances or on their job and career, their status, things, things in their life, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes quite clearly. Um, oftentimes, the more uh, materialistic or value they have on things, the more they have to prove that that's not really their value because yeah. almost all of them, whenever they're talking, all of the evidence points to the fact that that is their value. Um, and, you know, this is something that... Uh, I don't know if it's happening more than it is in the past, but it's certainly happening all over the place. And it's not healthy for us. It doesn't lead to good outcomes for people. These aren't the things that uh, really matter, really matter or or make us happy or healthy or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it kind of goes to the old line that I'm sure everybody's heard a million times, but I'll repeat it here. You know, it's the person on their deathbed and they they aren't Uh, going, oh, I wish I'd worked more. I wish I had... They wanted more more time with their family. And you're right, as we live our life, often we get it wrong. The things that we think are important really in the big picture at the end of it all aren't the most important things. But yet we really do value career, appearance, um, things, right? Definitely. I think uh, it's interesting to see what the happiest jobs are out there, you know, what makes people happy. And they aren't the jobs where people are making a ton of money. Hmm. Oftentimes, they are things that are more connected, um, you know, with other factors or, uh, factors in our life, like uh, like clergy. I thought that was interesting, like the hmm. happiest job. Uh, firefighter, physical therapist, authors, special education teachers, people who are dealing with other people. Making people a who difference. Are helping, have a purpose, yeah. have a clear purpose hmm. in what they're doing. Uh, the other thing I thought that was interesting that came up when I was looking at this again was how do you how do you manage this? How do you get yourself out of this uh, materialism? And uh, one thing, I don't know if it's helpful for an adult, but it was interesting to find that children, uh, when they have small manageable losses as children or youth, they uh, become less oriented this way. And uh, they have to find an identity uh, outside of their uh, successes and failures. They have to learn how to manage an imperfect life, whereas people who potentially have a lot of successes early in life uh, may tend to define themselves more by that and then need to keep it up, need to keep um, having those successes in order to have, uh, you know, their higher um, higher self-worth. Yeah. And so their life becomes defined by what they do and uh, and how they look or, or things like that. Yeah. And uh, they become more, uh, you know, materialistic in that way. Um, so, you know, Maybe it's okay to have losses in our life, but it's good to, and, and maybe, the, and I see people come in when they have these losses later in their life and they, they aren't measuring up to where they think they should be. And then it does get much more difficult to manage it then because it really impacts how they see themselves. Yeah. One that comes to my mind is job loss. When somebody Ooh, loses yeah. a job, you maybe, as you work that job, don't realize what it meant to you yeah. until it's gone and then mm-hmm. you go, Wow, that yeah. job was in my mind yeah. a big part of me. Yeah, people who have lost their job suddenly, particularly maybe unexpectedly, mm. uh, often have an impact on their psyche for the rest of their lives. It's hard to find things that impact people that strongly, and and uh, I wouldn't have thought job loss would have been that high, but it really does. It's connected to who who we think we are and what we think of ourselves. Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously. I haven't seen that compared with grief clearly or or other types of loss. Um, but, you know, a job loss, especially if it's something that we're, you know, we don't want to lose, mm. uh, it's, it's sometimes more connected with who we are even than the loved ones around us. Um, so our, it impacts our identity yeah. so directly. Mm-hmm. 
So is that something then that we need to, here we are talking about kids and you know how I get nervous whenever we, (laughs) I don't have them, but I I worry about, oh gosh, how would I handle this? Um, Is that then something that we need to work on with our kids, Mm. making them realize what in life is really important and when we... You, you know, I, I think of the kid, you know, in the store with mom and dad and the yep. kid wants something. And, you know, I mean, do we have to take those moments to try and place value in the right areas with a child? Or Definitely. I think um, you could think about it and try to live differently in front of your children. Uh, I would probably, or I would recommend um, actually changing your values more than I would trying to act like you have different ones. Uh, Show them, don't tell them. Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, we, we like to think that we can give our children a list when they're an adult on the things that they should value. And okay, so this is it, you know, mm-hmm. uh, this is what you should have gotten from your experience in our house. Uh, unfortunately, they, they look at what you do more than what you say. And values are one of the things that we really do pass down to our children. And so... Uh, oftentimes when parents come in and we're doing some kind of work, uh, you know, with a child who's struggling, uh, we have to look at what, what are the parents' values and do they line up with the children's strengths? I mean, if you have a child who's struggling in school with a learning disorder, has difficulty performing in those ways, and you have two highly educated parents who always valued and always wanted their children to succeed in that way, mm. uh, it's like you might need to change what you think is important. Otherwise, your child's going to have mental health problems. Yeah, those are, those are things that we need to kind of look at ourselves and make sure that we have the values that are, we actually want to pass down. Mm-hmm. How is it then that, you know, you can have two kids, same parents, same house, <laughs> and one kid turns out one way and another kid, you know, one, one does helps people and does yeah, good things yeah. and that matters and the other one wants a bigger boat and a, and a fancy car. Oh, that's good. Yeah, you know, it's true. Uh, Children come out with their own personalities, their own sensitivities in particular. Um, Sometimes they react to their parents and and things like that. So it's not always simple. Um, Some children are born secure where it's like you can do a lot of things to these children and they're going to come out uh, feeling pretty good about themselves and trusting Mm -hmm. other people. Other children are much more sensitive and, and reactive to kind of their environment and parents really need to be on their A game or learning strategies that their parents never taught them in order to manage that child and be successful. Um, so when you're, when you're talking about parenting, yeah. you know, I, you get a little nervous. Maybe I do too. I, you, it's, uh, it's tricky and, uh, children bring something to the table too. But at the end of the day, even though we don't blame parents because children bring their own things to the table, parenting remains one of the strongest interventions we can do. And we, uh, really value the impact parents have on their kids. So that's our primary target is, uh, okay, you know, this child is bringing a lot to the table, um, but really we need to focus on how you're interacting with them because that's going to have the biggest impact. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcast, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.